Hello, welcome to The REPL, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about building a closure with Jay Wilkerson, the creator of Jank. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And maybe to start off, could you give us a little bit of your background of what's brought you to Jank? Some people may have seen this uh, recently, but maybe some background and then tell us what, what Jank is. Sure. Jank started in 2015 as just a way for me to explore the programming language space. I was not yet a Clojure developer. I was very much a C++ systems developer. And I was just getting into like learning about functional programming. And I, I had found some lists. I was actually doing more common lists than Clojure. And so I actually started the syntax using S expressions. But I was trying to do my own entire thing. And then, well, years passed and I learned more about different types of languages. I learned a lot more about Clojure and through a handful of different rewrites and redesigns, Jenk ended up being today a Clojure dialect that has a native host, you know, as opposed to JVM or CLR or JavaScript through LLVM. Then on top of that, the whole type system business around gradual structural typing. And, and what led me there was just in those several years, I was just trying to figure out like, what is it I want? You know, like I program because it's the thing I love to do most. And that, well, that makes it hard to do for work, but especially when I'm working on my own things, I just want to write cool programs and I want to have fun doing it. So I was trying to identify what is it that I want in a language and what I have today with Jank and, you know, primarily in the design is, is just sort of a combination of my strong static typing world coming from C++ and template metaprogramming and type rich APIs. And then also the interactive programming, pure data transformation world that I love from Clojure. So to maybe just for people to like put this in a box, which is, Maybe not helpful, but maybe to kind of ground it, it's Jank is Clojure compatible, but it sounds like there's additional typing things that will sit on top of Jank that all valid Clojure programs are valid Clojure. Is that fair to say? Yes. So that's the goal. And when Jank was getting discussed a lot, I had a lot of people calling out 100% Clojure compatibility. And then other places I say, Closure without interop is going to be compatible. And they're like, oh, that's not 100%. But like the idea is that like any closure that's going to compile in both Clojure JVM and Clojure Script, or, you know, and also throw in like Clojure CLR there is going to be valid jank. I think that's going to be a safe rule. Like when you start getting into the whole interop world, jank is going to have its entirely own system for, you know, for interop, its own syntax and everything like that for interop. This also kind of bleeds into the interfaces a bit. And so I want to see what, what we can do there. But yeah, you can think of Jank as if you have a pure closure library, I want you to be able to run it in Jank. And that's just like CLJC files, you know, for example. On top of that, when you have Jank files, I want you to be able to uh, use Molly-like contracts to describe your types, except have the compiler understand those at compile time rather than just Molly validation at runtime. So back in 2015, there wasn't really anything quite like 
jank in the closure space of super fast startup high performance. But now we've got GrovVM, which yeah, there's there's some trade offs with that, but it gets yeah, you, know, you do get a native binary at the end of it. So could you compare and contrast GrovVM and Jank? Yeah, so there are two dimensions that need to be considered when comparing Jank to Closure on Grawl. And and I do use Closure on Grawl and I and I, I really like the benefits of like line native image, you know, plugin <laughs> being able to just run that and, and get something that, that starts up super quickly. So the, the two dimensions are one, the native executable, right? So Grawl allows you to take a Java Uber jar or, you know, closure Uber jar and turn that into a native executable that has everything that it needs in order to run. Jank allows you to take closure and Jank sources and compile that into a native executable that has everything that you need in order to get it to run. So they, they have a similar outcome, but they take very different approaches. Grawl has some limitations around like reflection, for example, that you can be doing. And Jank, on the other hand, bakes all of this, like all of the functionality that it's doing, including the just-in-time compilation that it's doing, all of that still exists inside of the native world. So you can have a native executable in Jank and still have all of that dynamic runtime goodness, but you kind of sacrifice mm. that when you take your Uber jar, you ahead of time compile it, and then you edit ahead of time compile it again into a native image. <laughs> um, right. So, you know, one benefit I would say with Jank you know, on that dimension is you get to keep all that dynamic stuff while still having the static executable. On the other hand, the benefit for Grawl would be, well, you just get to write your closure application. You don't need to worry about another language, another compiler, or anything like that. You especially don't need to worry about C++ land. So on the other dimension, we're talking about the types, right? And Grawl doesn't give you anything extra for any sort of static type analysis in closure. So it, it just doesn't compete in that world. And so when you look at Jank compared to Grawl, if you are someone who's interested in gradual typing for your closure code to be able to say, oh, I'm going to write all of this just like I would in closure willy nilly. You know, I'm going to start with some data. I'm going to work it up. I'm going to transform it, figure out the shapes that I want, get everything working. And then I'm going to go into these particular systems, which I think really need it, could really benefit from it. I'm going to throw in some type annotations. And then the compiler is going to use those to infer wherever it can and assert whatever it can at compile time. If that's something that interests you, then that would also be a reason why you would consider Jank over Grawl. And then in terms of performance, you know, I know Jank's not finished, you know, but sort of, I guess, maybe theoretical performance, are these going to be roughly equivalent at running, you know, similar kinds of programs? Or would you expect Jank to be able to be faster or maybe Grawl faster because it has more? Yeah. Dynamic information. In the testing that I've done so far, which is preliminary, but in like in the past iteration of Jank, I had it you know quite usable. I wrote a ray tracer, you know, in Jank last year and and was I wrote, you know, wrote the same exact code in closure and then was trying to get Jank to be competitive in the space. The numbers as they looked there were closure was faster than my Jank implementation, which is understandable considering it was, you know, so early on, but 
the Jenkins implementation was faster than the Grawl implementation with just the same closure implementation compiled with Grawl. And the big reason there, I think, is just just-in-time optimizations, right? With Grawl, you don't have that. Whereas with Clojure or, you know, Jank in general needs to be able to compete with something that's going to get faster the more it runs. And in the native space, you don't have that as much. And, and that's not something that I'm actually designing for. So I, add, I do just need to like lower the base signal level in order to try to approach how fast a Clojure program will get once it starts getting optimized at runtime. In short... I'm optimistic about it. I think that based on what I've seen, I'm going to be able to get Jank to a place where I can use it for what I want to use it for. And that's the most important thing for me. Are you planning on having reader conditionals for Jank, but you know, supporting Jank as a reader conditional option? Yes. So fortunately, as far as I've seen, the reader conditional system is quite open. This means that like I can just type in a sort of keyword into a reader conditional and Clojure is just going to ignore it if it's not CLJ. So that means I can put colon jank in there and it'll just be ignored. That means that I don't believe there's any sort of official process of saying, I want to get jank registered as, a, as an accepted reader conditional. So I think it's going to be essential to have reader conditional support. And this will hopefully mean that you can go to your favorite like cross-platform closure library, or I guess cross-host closure library and say, hey, let's get Jank support. You know, we're using interop for this particular Java thing to do date time stuff. Let's just use the C++ equivalent and wrap that in a reader conditional. What would that look like? Would you write a C++ file and mark some functions as being exported and available to Jank or? The really cool thing about Jank's just-in-time compiler, well, firstly, is that I don't have to write it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And secondly, is that it works with any C++ code that you can throw at it. And this includes existing C++ compatible functions, which also includes, of course, C functions. The just-in-time compiler that Jank is using is called Kling, which is a play on Clang, of course, as part of the root project by the folks at CERN, uh, as far as I know. And that's like the same CERN as the, the folks who are smashing things together to find new particles. They use a lot of interactive C++ and have built this interactive C++ compiler, which is basically, you can imagine it as a C++ rebel. And the, the really important thing here is that Jank just does you know, translation basically from Jank source to uh, C++ in the same way, same, you know, same sort of way that Clojure would, would compile to uh, Java bytecode, but imagine it's compiling to Java source instead. I just give that C++ to Clink and it does the compilation. Now, the really cool thing here is that it works with all sorts of C++ features. So anything from like templates and inheritance and uh, dynamic dispatch and including external headers and linking with external libraries, anything like that. So that means that I can just include some headers for a particular library. Let's say OpenGL, for example, I can say that I want to load in the dynamic like shared object for OpenGL, and then I can just start calling those functions and I can do all that at runtime. So in short, you know, in, in summary, 
the answer is, I don't think that you're going to need to do anything special. Like if you want your C++ library to really be integrated into the Jank runtime, then you can definitely have it inherit from the different interfaces that we have inside the Jank runtime. But if you just want to grab a C++ library and start consuming it, my goal is for you to be able to do that. And so a string in Jank is like a C++ standard library string? It used to be. For performance reasons, I ended up uh, making a custom string so that I could memoize the hash codes because they're used for everything. Uh, <laughs> and I don't want to, I don't want to have to, or, you know, recalculate those. So, and, and then that may change to end up being a folly string. Folly is like a C++ library developed by Facebook that does a lot of like standard library alternatives that are just much faster. Yeah, I don't want to say for a fact going forward, Jenks strings are going to be one thing or another, but they're definitely going to be compatible with the C++ world. When you think about it, like I was just showing off the Jank code gen in a different talk yesterday. And the point that I was trying to make there was like Jank's runtime and in, in some ways Closure's runtime as well. It's just a library really. And then the code generation is just generating code that consumes that library. And so anything from like interning vars to calling functions to doing any sort of thing that you might want to do with a Closure or a Jank we just have like a C++ API that allows you to do that. And so if you get a jank string in some sort of C++ library, it's actually really easy to just say, eh, give me the native string that's behind this, this whole thing. And it's designed to be not just entirely code gen dump behind the scenes. Nobody should read this. It's right only. It is definitely designed to be like actually easy to work with as a developer. So tell me about REPLs, because it sounds like this is highly dynamic, as dynamic as you would see in the Closure Java runtime. Will you be able to get into NREPL eventually, or what will REPLs look like? So yes to everything um, <laughs> is, the, is the answer. We want, uh, we want NREPL and LSP and line again support and so on. But uh, yeah, I mean, the... One reason why for, you know, for this iteration, like the last iteration of Jank, I had designed it mostly based on Clojure and it was a, it was a Clojure dialect, but I didn't focus on the interactive programming side. Trying to do that along with all the static analysis and everything like that is just a lot. It's two compilers, right? Clojure is already like its own thing, but now you need to toss in all of the, uh, the static analysis side of things for native code gen, and then also all the type systems, and everything like that. So I had it, so you could basically just take some Jank source code, and then uh, it would just compile that to C++ source code, and then you could just compile that in order to get your executable. But of course, you don't have all of the runtime goodness, and this means that you don't have the, the REPL goodness that, of course, all of us Clojure developers love. However, for this iteration, I was like, okay, all right. it was good, you know, and I was able to make like that ray tracer, for example, that was competitive in terms of performance, but I didn't have that REPL experience. So this time around, I'm like, okay, well, how can I achieve that while also achieving everything else that I want to achieve with Jank and C++? And um, so I started with the just-in-time compiler first and to make sure that the story for that is really, really solid. And honestly, 
if cling did not exist, I don't know how viable like this would be like without me going to do all of the work that cling, you know, that the folks in the root project have done in order to build this, I probably just would have chosen a different path instead. So the fact that cling does exist and I can have that rebel experience to be able to say, all right, I'm going to, or, you know, that, that dynamic experience to say, I'm just going to send some new code at this. It's going to just in time compile. It's going to plug right into the, the process and continue on as though, you know, nothing else changed. Uh, now that I have proven that, I can confidently say, yes, Jenk is going to have that same REPL experience that you're used to. And I very much uh, plan on starting with NREPL support first so that I can hopefully continue using Vim and then Oracle's awesome Conjure plugin, just like I would with Clojure, but with Jenk. So persistent data structures are currently implemented in in Java. Will you write kind of the moral equivalent in C++ or are there pretty libraries for this in C++? So this is also one of my favorite aspects of it too, Daniel, because I don't need to write this either. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, there's already some excellent work done on basically implementing closures data structures in C++. And there's a library that I'm using in Jank called Immer. And this is the same sort of library that actually it influenced im.rs, I believe, uh, which was made by um, Bodle, I think. And, and that's the Rust equivalent. So both C++ and Rust actually have like analogous persistent immutable data structures that are very much designed based on closure data structures. The developer of Immer, he, he just does an excellent job of making sure that every change he makes, you know, is thoroughly benchmarked and, and he understands the impact of each new feature, which gives me a lot of confidence in knowing that I don't need to do all of that, but also that I have persistent immutable data structure library to use. Nice. Well, that is that's very handy because that I can't imagine that's a small amount of work build. Yeah, it's, I would say it's trivial to build persistent immutable data structures now as, as they're designed by Clojure, but to do them so that they're fast is by no means easy. What other parts of Clang haven't we touched on? So we talked briefly about the type system and I, I would want to go back to that because I think it's one of the, like, a native host is big, but it's half the picture. The way that I think about Jank is I basically try to embrace the mantra of why not both uh, for as many things as possible. And, and, and that is like trying to take the best of both worlds for all of these different things. So we have wars between dynamic typing and static typing. We have wars between Vim and Emacs. We have wars between running on the JVM versus having a native host. I want everyone to be happy. That's not true, actually. I don't. I want all of these things for myself, <laughs> which is the, the, <laughs> the, the truth behind it all, is that Jenk is built for me and, and everyone else who happens to like it is uh, it's just a cherry on top. But back to what I'm saying here about best of both worlds, we talked about this with the native runtime. I want you to be able to have a dynamic experience 
with the REPL, right? But I also want you to be able to bake a static executable. But I also want a middle ground as well. I want you to be able to have a native executable that actually has all that dynamic stuff built into it. And so we have a full spectrum. And I think I use this term on Jenks website, full spectrum dynamics. And it sounds fancy, but it's kind of what I'm going for. And when we take that same spectrum visualization and we apply that to the type system, in Clojure, we, you know, we have these runtime types and we, these predicates that we, we rarely even use, you know, int question mark, vector question mark, whatever. For the most part, we just assume the data is what, what it should be. And then we use functions that behave in terms of like abstraction. So I don't care if this is a vector or a, or a map or a list. I'm just going to, I'm just going to map over it or filter over it or whatever. So we have that side. And then we have the other side, which is like uh, Haskell, right? Where everything is, you know, maybe you don't need to say the type of everything. But the type is known because it's inferred. If it can't be inferred, then that's something that you need to then spell out. So like we have these two opposing worlds and Jenks like, why not both? Why not start in the completely dynamic world and build out your program or, or this section of your program, figure out your data shapes. And then if you want, go in and annotate those. And the other thing is that I want you to be able to annotate those very much in the closure way with data. And, and this is why I'm leaning toward a Molly-like data system as opposed to something like spec. One of the issues that I have with spec is, well, first the global registry, but also the fact that you can't just transform a spec easily. And, and, and you also, you can't just use Clojure's standard functions, the Clojure core library that we're so used to using for everything. You can't just use that to work with your specs. Whereas with Molly, you can to a degree. But I, I want Jake to take that a step further, actually, and make it even easier to transform and dissect and pull out parts of these Molly-like types at compile time. So you could actually do this in a macro for like type-level programming. And this will allow you to move anywhere in the spectrum between Clojure and Haskell. That's my goal anyway. Sounds challenging, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you consider those two dimensions of full spectrum dynamics, then that's Jake. The rest of it is basically closure. I've had an idea, and maybe this is a, a dumb idea, so you can tell me, but would Jack be able to compile some Java libraries into Gravium native images and then call into them from Jank? I think this is what uh, hmm. Babeshka or Sai, one of Mikhail yeah. projects, does something like this, I think. Yeah. I don't actually know like what Grawl does in terms of generating symbols inside of the negative native executables that it generates. I would say tentatively, yes, uh, something like that should be doable, but that's just, you know, that's just my gut feeling. However, I don't know if you know about this, but like Grawl has, there's this whole polyglot system in mm -hmm. Grawl for like being able to work with other languages from like any other language. And that's a huge, like, that's a huge thing. It's kind of like Swig 
which was like this sort of universal language binding type thing Swig was, but it never really felt natural to me, at least when I tried it. I would like to explore more what they're doing and maybe even Jank could use that, right? Maybe you could even have like this polyglot system inside of Jank so that you can more easily talk to something like Java directly without even needing to compile it to a native executable using native image. But I haven't done that yet. And your Jank is, maybe it's a full-time job. On top of a full-time job, but you do currently work at EA. I do work at EA, yeah. Actually, I, I'm part-time, which is a which was a new thing as of this year. And it's something I had to negotiate in order to stay as a developer, you know, in my current role and everything. I'm very fortunate that I happen to be in a team, in an organization in EA to where this could work. But as of April this year, I switched to part-time and this allows me to focus a lot more of my time on things like Jank. And so what do you do at EA? I'm a software engineer. So <laughs> let's say that. I lead the tech of a team that is part of the EA digital platform, EADP. We work on the backend services that all of these different games use. So EA is the second largest gaming company in the world next to Activision, Blizzard, Microsoft. We have so many different game studios. I should say, you know, just to be clear, all opinions are my own and I'm not here on behalf of EA, but instead on my, you know, on my own behalf. But we have so many different game studios and, and they're all making these different titles. We try to support them within EADP by providing services that will give them what they need in order to be able to focus more on the games and less on like the server tech and the tooling. So I work on a, a team that builds tooling and we actually use Clojure. I believe that we're the only team in EA that does. Uh, we use Clojure Script and Reagent and Reframe for our front end. And then our back end is in something that's less exciting that I, <laughs> I won't talk about because <laughs> it's a different language. So yeah, I, I lead the tech for that. And that's anything from working in Clojure on that front end to working in other languages to writing a lot of Bash, which I do as well. Something else that people might know you for is the Clojure Spec Library Orchestra. Can you tell us a bit more about what is Orchestra for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, so if we want to consider a little bit of background of Orchestra, when Spec came out, it was a I think it was a really big deal. There were some things like plumetic schema that were in that space, but having that officially supported first class contract language to be able to say, all right, this thing is a map that has these keys and these are optional and these are not, and these keys need to match these specs and, and so on. That was big. And I definitely jumped on on that train. And uh, one of the things that I really liked, once you define these, I think of them as contracts, but once you define these specs for the data shapes that you have, I wanted to be able to assert those always, always and forever. And I wanted to do that automatically. I didn't want to have to think about it. I didn't want to do that only in my tests. I wanted to do that during development. Basically, in Clojure, we often, well, I'm going to say often, but it's, it's certainly not terribly infrequent. We run into scenarios where you get a nil somewhere and then you're like, ah, where did this nil come <laughs> I think come often, from? often is very fair. Okay. To say. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm glad you agree. I didn't want to, <laughs> uh, I didn't just want to throw myself under a bus there. 
So yeah, you, you get a nil and then you're just like, oh my gosh. And then it turns out it's like five functions ago and, you know, not even in this sort of like stack trace, but somewhere else you ended up putting a nil into the app DB of your reframe app. And then you're using that nil. And then that ended up throwing an exception because you used it in one of the functions in Clojure that throws an exception, whereas the others are just garbage in, garbage out. And then it shows up there and then you're like, oh, why is this number thing a nil? But really it's because some network request came back and had an error and then you got a nil from that or something. <laughs> like we do that. And I wanted to I wanted to just nip that at the butt. And so, you know, I define all these specs for things and then I'm just like tossing in asserts everywhere. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to assert this, I'm going to assert this, I'm going to assert this, I'm going to assert this. And then I was like, man, I just want to be able to do this automatically. And Clojure spec had um, some support for instrumentation. I think that they only checked args for functions, but they didn't check the uh, ret spec for a function and they didn't check the function spec, which takes the args and the return value and then does a, a spec check on that. And and so I was like, man, what a wasted opportunity it seemed like to me. And I think that spec was also focusing a lot on like value generation and like, oh, look, you can have a test suite that generates fake values based on your spec. And then you can feed those into your things. And I'm like, well, you know, that is cool. Like, but instrumentation, like, what about this? So I spoke with some folks about it and was like, yeah, let's get the, you know, let's get this in there. Let's get the, the return specs checked. Let's get the function specs checked. And um, I didn't actually get, I didn't get a, a super warm response. And so I was like, all right, well, that's fine. So I forked closure spec and I just, I hacked in the, the checking for the return spec and the function spec. And then I happily instrumented every single function in our front end and our back end at the company I was working at. And it was glorious. So it was divisive, I think orchestra was, but I think a lot of people saw the benefit to it. And I think that those people who saw the benefit to that, to knowing that extra confidence that you get in knowing where something went wrong rather than way down the line, I think that those people are also going to be the same sort of people who are going to be interested in the, the type system benefits that you're going to get with Jank. And orchestra feels like it's relatively stable, maybe not quite done, but you know, it's, it does everything that it, it, people need it to, as far as I can tell, um, we use it. Yeah. I think orchestra really only changes whenever spec does in a, like in an incompatible way, because it is, it is a fork of spec. And so it's basically taking the same sort of spec checking functions that were there and then, and then just doing some small changes to them. But that doesn't happen often, fortunately, as uh, the culture of closure is, so it's quite stable and it works with Clojure Script as well as Clojure JVM. Actually, I think it maybe even works for Clojure CLR because some Arcadia folks were using it. I don't actually recall though, but yeah, I mean, if you're using spec, definitely check it out. Cause like you get to choose when you enable it. And I, and I will say we used to, so this was at my, at my startup that I, I worked at for like five years uh, that was full stack Clojure. We did use it in production, like on our front end, and we had to turn it off in production because there was a noticeable performance hit. So it's not free, especially if 
you're working with a lot of data and you have very thorough specs. And also like a lot of people don't think about this, but you can optimize your specs, like their code as well. And if you're just writing specs that have like a lot of unnecessary branches, for example, like you use a lot of ORs in your specs when you don't actually need to, that's going to slow things down. So one thing was we had to optimize our specs to just make it more manageable. And then another thing was ultimately we ended up disabling it in production, but we definitely still used it during development because it was worth it. And I think on the back end, we kept it in production even because it wasn't a big concern as far as the performance of our request handling and WebSocket handling, everything like that. So it may depend on your scenario as to whether or not you can justify it, but definitely for development, definitely for your test suite, everything like that, having that whole instrumentation is huge. Just to clarify, it's a fork of the closure spec test namespace. So closure.spec.alpha, you still use from right. the main one. So people exactly. don't have to be worried about right. like rewriting the whole code base with a new namespace import. Exactly. Yeah. So you get to keep all your existing specs. And then if you are using closure spec test, then you'll just need to change that to like orchestra.spec.test, I think. Which is probably most of the time a much smaller yeah. amount of code. It, yeah, it should probably be a couple a couple uses you know, in your code. Something else you work on is the compiler spotlight newsletter. So tell us about that. Does this come from your interest in compilers in general or yeah, so this was this is actually a pretty new thing. And if you haven't checked it out, then I definitely encourage it. So I'm working on a compiler, you know, in a, in a programming language I have been for several years. So it's definitely an interest of mine, the just programming languages in general. And I, and I found that every time I saw a new language on Hacker News or Reddit or, you know, coming in through IRC or whatever, I just got really excited. And I would go in and I'd say, oh, what sort of paradigm is this? What are they... What's it most like? What are they borrowing from? And then I would be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. They're using this particular thing. Maybe I can utilize that for jank. I'm just quite interested in the space, the, the frontier of programming language development. And I was curating this in that way. It's just a huge folder on my Firefox toolbar called programming languages that has bookmarks <laughs> in it. And I thought maybe I could do a better way of curating this and and maybe also give back to these people who these brave people who are on the frontier making their own languages. So I started this newsletter and this is something I started, I don't know, like a month ago. And we've had a post every week so far. And we just focus on showcasing uh, neat languages. We just focused on a language called Guion, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's a strongly timed language for making music. It feels like you would come up with the pun first and then build yeah, 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 the yeah. whole language around. Yeah, someone's like, okay, I want a strongly typed, strongly timed. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so that's just, it's super cool. And so I reach out to these compiler uh, and language developers and I say, hey, like I'm you know working on this newsletter and then they rework together in order to come up with a post. And then it just goes out for free. And people who are interested in this sort of space, they get to read it. So... For me, it's fun. Like I really like getting to just have this exposure. I really like getting to meet all of these different programming language developers and, and compiler developers. And we get to do this, this curating task as well, which serves the whole community. 
I'll put a link in the show notes. People can sign up for that. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts about Rust. You know, Rust, if you were to kind of build a new language today that's sort of systems level, like a lot of people would maybe expect to see it in Rust just because that's the, the trendy thing to do. But, you know, Jenk decidedly is not, at least not today. Yeah. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? I know you've used Rust in the past. You're not unfamiliar with it. I really like Rust. So let's just put that out there. You know, my background is in C++, and I, I've used C++ professionally for several years, but I've also actually used Rust professionally as well. And if I could choose Rust over C++, for any particular project, I would. Now that begs the question of, well, why is Jank in C++ then, you fool? <laughs> and the answer is, I actually tried this latest iteration of Jank in Rust. I still have the Rust code. And I hit the problem to which I alluded earlier, which is Kling, the just-in-time compiler for C++ that I'm using, does not exist in the Rust world. If you want to use like Rust C, the Rust compiler as a crate, it is not well documented. It is not well supported. There are ABI issues that you need to tackle with as well. And when you have something like Kling, where I can work with anything from templates to dynamic dispatch and not need to worry about it, I just give it the code, I hook it into my process and it works. Whereas with Rust, I would have needed to build all of that myself. Like I asked around. I feel like I asked all the right people and I did not get any good answers on how I could actually make this with Rust. That is why Jank is in C++. If I could have done it in Rust, I would have. That's Jank. And then Rust in general, several years ago, I was pretty early into the Rust scene and I, one of my most popular GitHub repos actually is a project called Q3, which was in Rust. It was a game engine that was taking Quake 3 and Quake Live maps and then voxelizing them using separating access theorem and then rendering them in a multi-threaded OpenGL Rust renderer. The goal was to ultimately make a game that was Quake 3-like, but with voxelized destructible maps. Rust was super, super young at the time, and the language itself was changing a lot. But even then, it was still so refreshing to use coming from C++. I hold it in, in very high regard. A lot of people who use Rust, they complain that it, like their code doesn't compile. And that's a good thing, right? Like <laughs> they're, they're like, this design that I've been using called Singleton where I have global mutable state for all of my program to access in like a happy way, it doesn't compile with Rust. Clearly Rust is broken. And then it's like, no, clearly your approach to design is broken in the sense of safety. That may have compiled in C and C++, but it was not safe to do that, especially not safe to do that in a multi-threaded way. I feel like when you get to the point with Rust where your your code starts compiling like regularly <laughs> and you don't you you don't hit those issues anymore, you've leveled up. And then you can stop writing Rust, you know, if if you wanted to and take those learnings back 
to your other languages, and it will change the way that you design things. And there is one more one more thing, which is that you have a GitHub sponsors profile that you are you know using you know to help support your work on Jank and Compiler Spotlight and everything else that you work on. So if people are interested in funding this and helping it become a a reality, that's probably a pretty good way to do that. That would be great. Thanks for bringing that up, Daniel. And if you do sponsor, I will reach out to you and say thank you in a very kind way. (laughs) (laughs) And what's the state of like contributing to Jank? Is it still a little bit early or are there places where you're looking for help from people? The state right now is early when it comes to the implementation of the compiler, just because, you know, I know, I know I've been doing this for so long, but I'm in the middle of this grand rewrite in order to support the, the two dimensions of full spectrum dynamics that I, that I described earlier. So I think if people want to help out, the biggest win would be around tooling. I think that there is work that could be started now around like, okay, well, how does this fit into LSP? How does this fit into NREPL? How does this fit into, this is actually the one I'd really like to get done first is how does this fit into line again? Because I am a big line proponent and also Technomancy's uh, Fennel language that he maintains these days was on Compiler Spotlight. So check that out if you're interested in a closure-like language on Lua. But um, I definitely want Lanigan to to be a first-class citizen in the Jank world. And I want to figure out how we can make that work so that you can just add Jank as a dependency to your project and then start compiling your code just by the normal ways that you would with Line. So that sort of tooling stuff, I think, is going to be really helpful. The other thing I would call out is that uh, there is a Jank channel on the Clojurian Slack. Those Clojure folks are still kind enough to host me, even though I'm having a blasphemous <laughs> language in their presence. And I very often have been reaching out to just get people's input on different design choices that I'm making. So previously for the past several years, I've been kind of in a, a vacuum of sorts when it comes to design. But now we have this community of people who are interested might as well take advantage of that. So if you want to take part in the actual design discussions for things like Interop or things like the type system, then definitely join the Slack channel and just participate. Cool. Well, that is awesome. I'm excited to keep watching Jank and see it develop and hopefully use it for something sometime in the future. I look forward to that. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel.